0: Hello and welcome to another Profiles of Endurance. I'm Father Scott Vanderveer. Today I'm speaking with Claudia, a 26 year old artist who lives in Boston that I met years ago when I was a chaplain at Hartwick College in Oneonta, New York where she was an undergraduate student. It was at that college where she became friends with a male student who she got to know very well and grew in a depth of friendship that brought a lot of joy to her life. Eventually the friendship turned into a romance, but that did not bode well for the future of their connection with one another. She is here to talk with us today about what it feels like when a relationship goes bad, when abuse and manipulation find their way into a dynamic between two people who are supposed to love each other and what we can do in our own lives when we see those warning signs coming up. Claudia, thank you so much for joining us here today. I'm so grateful to have this time to reconnect with you and introduce you to the listeners of this podcast. And maybe a great way to get to know you a little bit would be to hear about your childhood and, and your growing up. What was, what and where and how was your growing up like?
1: Um, uh, Okay. <laughs> Well, I'm excited to be here. By the way, I'm very thrilled about this. Um, I uh, so I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, I went. So I so I have I you know my mom she um, she's a physician. My dad has had many different roles that he's filled uh, a lot of different job experience um, through a lot of my childhood. He was either working in a restaurant. Um, or he was for a time, a stay at home dad, which was really great. Um, for me, a big part of my upbringing, well, like my parents are very different people. Um, so there was a lot of somewhat, <laughs> this led to confusion sort of around my identity, but so mm. my, my mom's family, um, is Jewish and my dad's family is Catholic. So growing up I sort of had a little bit of each religion but not fully either one I think my parents kind of agreed they wanted to uh allow me to sort of find my own way within that um so we can you know talk about more about sort of my feelings about my faith but um yeah I, I think that I I'm trying to think It's kind of <laughs> to summarize my childhood is kind of a difficult um
0: it, it's, it's broad it's broad well it which one of your parents did you find yourself closer to and why?
1: I don't I don't think I was closer to one or the other I think that I have like an equally close relationship with my parents I think I have I'm closer to my parents and more emotionally attached to my parents than a lot of people I know in in, in a certain way I think that I had, I grew up, I matured at a young age in a lot of ways. And so I think that I had a different kind of relationship with my parents than a lot of people do. Mm. And so I think that I, um, I have a different relationship with, with each parent. I have different things in common. My parents divorced when I was nine years old. So I developed separate relationships with them. You know, there wasn't really that, um, harmonious family unit really for most of my life. Mm. So in
0: my mind, my parents have always been like separate entities that I have different
1: relationships with.
0: Are there siblings involved?
1: There are not. No, I am an only child. Wow. Or as I used to say, I I used to say I'm a lonely child. Yeah,
0: a lonely child. Oh, well, I I wonder, do you, when you think back to the time of being nine and, and their divorce, how hard was that on you?
1: To be an only child, to it was a, or just in general.
0: An only child and then to have your parents not not live together. How, how did that, um, the lack of solidarity I mean, in that, how did you manage that?
1: Well, so I mean, in, in general, if you want to go into things, my child, I was a pretty, I was pretty isolated mm. as, a, as a kid. I really didn't have a lot of social connections for a long time in my life and not having a sibling, I sort of had to navigate a lot of these traumatic experiences by myself. Mm. Um, so I think that that was hugely formative in who I am as a person, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was the whole, the whole thing was very upsetting and it was very, in some ways unexpected. Um, I see there's all sorts of things where we could go deeper into, into all of these things, but, um, it was very unexpected and i think throughout the, the finding out about the divorce to adjusting to it i really had wished that i had a sibling because it felt very scary trying to understand that and figure all of that out alone oh
0: i and and you know since we're talking about relationships today too i think a lot of times it really could be an advantage to be a, a sibling especially if you have a uh, a brother or sister who's close in age so that when you start dating, when you start getting into relationships, you have someone to confide in who is not a parent, but who knows the values and the background of your family. And you didn't have, you didn't have that as an only child, which many of our listeners will relate to well because being an only child is certainly not completely unheard of. That's, that's rather common. So
1: I do think by the way that my, parents divorce definitely and experiencing that I do think that that has had an impact on how I view relationships and how I, um, you know, how long I stay in them and how I negotiate those things. So I do think that there is a connection between those two things.
0: When did you start dating? Were you somebody who dated as a young person, middle school, high school, or did you wait until college to begin dating?
1: Um, so I wanted, I definitely wanted that. I was always um, interested in in being in a relationship. I think that that was a very exciting concept to me. But I didn't really have, college was my first real significant relationship. I think everything leading up to that, all of these little high school things, I don't really consider real relationships because they didn't, they didn't carry the same weight. They didn't have the same definitions. So it might've been like I was in high school and I was, you know, quote unquote dating someone, but I didn't really spend that much time with them. So I think that college was really where I felt out my first real significant relationship. Mm. And that was with the person that, you know, we'll go on to talk more about.
0: You, you went fairly far when you went to college. You were, you were out of state and it was a half a day's drive or more to get from home to college how did yep. you how were you uh what kind of mindset were you in at that time? Was that exciting for you or did it feel like just uh something that you had to do, uh something to check off in life? What was your what was your approach to going away to college?
1: When I applied for when I was applying to colleges, my mom was like, You're not going to college in Boston. She said, If you go to college college in Boston, you're gonna come home, spend time at home, you're not gonna have these experiences. She's like, I want you to get out of here and really grow and have those experiences. And I'm thankful that she did that because I do think it was important for my growth and development. Um, I was excited about going to college. I was nervous because I didn't know anybody who was going to Hartwick. It was a completely uncharted territory in that respect. I didn't have um, those supports, but I did have family friends that lived half an hour away. Ah. So I knew that there was that safety net that if anything terrible really happened, that they were there. Mm. Um, but I was excited. I was excited about having a new adventure. I was nervous, but I was definitely excited about it.
0: Did you have a roommate when you arrived?
1: <laughs> um, I So before, so Hardwick has this program that I did. So before moving. in, I uh it was called Awakening. I'm sure they probably still have it although with COVID, I don't know. Mm. But um they basically you show up a week early and you spend a week at their Pine Lake campus, which is like an environmental um it's a campus like focused on environmental stuff. There's a lake, there's hiking trails, things like that. So this was kind of roughing it. It almost had this in a way, survivalist thing, right? Because, like, on our first night there, we had to build a a tarp, like, a sleeping shelter. So I did that for the week before college. Um, My parents and I felt like maybe that would help me adjust into classes, that this would, like, help me get to know people before the start of school. And that's actually where I met um, the person who would then become my
0: partner. The week before Um, school started. So you, from the very beginning,
1: Yeah, he was one of the first, well, I guess I didn't meet him, like, the first day, but I met him a couple days in. Um, He was not in the same group of people that I was, so I didn't see him as much as I did the people that were in my assigned group, but I, yeah, I still remember the first interaction I ever had with him very clearly, Um, but he was this, like, fun person. He was just hanging around. He actually reminded me of a friend that I'd had, From home. So I think that was part of my draw to him. Um, and then when we went to, when we started, when we moved in and started at Hartwick, he and I continued the friendship there and we spent a lot of time together. So we became very close friends my Mm. first semester of freshman Mm. year.
0: And then that friendship really, really endured. I mean, you, it sounds like, was it, was it a friendship the entire first year?
1: Um, so he made it pretty clear that he was interested in me romantically very early on. I Mm. think like October, late September of that year. So it was very early on. And I was very clear that that was not something I was interested in. Um, I really liked him as a person. I didn't feel like I wanted a romantic relationship with him. Mm. Um, so I was not looking for that. And I was very clear about that. I said, this is not something that I want with you. And if that's, if we can't be friends because of that, I understand, but like, I need to have these boundaries. Um, I had had previous relationships that were not, you know, my high school relationships, while I don't call them like significant relationships, there were things about them emotionally that didn't, were not good for me. Mm. And I think that a lot of people in my life were saying like, Oh, why aren't you dating this guy at college? And I'd say, well, I just don't really feel like it's the right thing. And they would say, oh, but he's so good to you, and he's so nice to you, he treats you so well, you've been with these people, or been involved with these people who aren't nice to you, you should be with this guy, because he's demonstrating to you that he can treat you really well, and he respects you and loves you, and yada yada. Mm. I even had my, so I was seeing a psychiatrist at home at the time, and even my psychiatrist was like, why aren't you dating this person? Mm. And it was I just said, like, I'm not really interested in a relationship with him. And she actually said, do you think that's because you like being mistreated by people?
0: Oh, wow.
1: (laughs) And I was like, gee, I don't know. So, but that kind of got the wheels turning in my head. Like, I I started to doubt my own judgment. Mm. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe I'm saying no. Like, maybe I shouldn't. I should, like, try this out. Um, Which I ended up doing, so I ended up... trying out having a relationship with him seven months into the school year.
0: Can we pause there? Um, Can we pause there yeah. for a second? Because I will tell you as a listener, what I feel is if I, if I were that young woman, I'd be afraid that I was going to ruin a significant friendship by trying this romance. I, I I feel like that's something I've heard a lot of folks talk about is I don't want to mess up a good friendship with a lousy romance was that was that part of your your thinking at the time did you have a little a little nervousness about losing him if this weren't the best path for you
1: a hundred percent and it's something that i thought about a lot definitely but i think that i decided to go against that because i felt so guilted by so many people around me
0: there it is yeah
1: and i'm very easily I, I care a lot about what the people around me think, um, mm. which I think is to a fault. And again, we could explore the reasons why, but that's probably a whole nother episode of your podcast. <laughs> um, but I, you know, so I said, well, maybe these people that I really love, like are seeing something that I'm not seeing and maybe they're right. So I decided to enter into that relationship, um, and initially, it was hard. I felt like I kind of had to force myself to be there because it's not what I wanted. But not that long after that, it started. I started to, you know, find myself happier and, and more excited about being in the relationship. And to the point where I got, it, it felt really good. Initially, it was. It was this like it was a really nice relationship initially.
0: People, it's a pretty universal thing for us to use the word falling when we talk about relationships that are significant, falling in love. There's a, there's a powerlessness over it. And there's even, you know, there's a, uh, there's a moment, you know, sometimes we can actually name, you know, some people would, for some people it's love at first sight. They say, you know, a lot of times right. when I'm talking to somebody, they'll say, oh, I loved him or I loved her from the moment I saw them for other people. You'll say, oh, I remember the night that I fell in love with her or fell in love with him. Was there a falling for you in this? Like you made a decision. It was more rational. Was there a point where it stopped being where you fell for him?
1: Probably, but I don't really remember it.
0: Uh Ah, yeah. Yeah.
1: I don't, I don't remember a specific moment or anything like that. And I don't, I don't think I felt that there was a specific moment in any of my partnerships really. Mm. Um, because I don't, I don't think it entirely happens all at once. I think that things shift, and, and at a certain point, you, um, you realize that your feelings are different. At least that's how it is for me. So I, I can't speak to anyone else's experience, but for me, it's usually like I'll notice one day. I'll be like, oh, okay, this has gradually changed.
0: Were there any signs early on, or any any stories that come to mind when you think of the the best of times? Was he ever doing anything that you're like, what a great boyfriend? Is there anything that comes to mind that caused you to be like, wow, this is really, he's a really good person. He treats me really well.
1: So he was my best friend prior to the relationship. So we had that connection of really knowing each other and understanding each other's senses of humor, things like that. He was always there for me. He kind of made these like occasional grandiose statements about like, how much he cared about me that were a little bit jarring but I was like wow this is you know more he was um very willing to tell me about how he felt about me which was refreshing
0: Mm. because I
1: hadn't really had that but he was very open about things that he liked about me and and he was a really sweet person
0: Mm. so
1: there were a lot of really positive things about I mean to be honest and even through a lot of the really horrible times we had with each other I can still think of like these really great times we had sprinkled in with all of it and I think that that's something that's true of most toxic relationships that's part of the reason you stay because if it was really really horrible 100% of the time likely you wouldn't really stay so true so I think that, that that you know people are like oh well you should just leave He's he's mistreating you and that's valid but there's also all of these experiences in there that really meant a lot to me so oh. there were things that he and I had or did together senior year, even the year after we graduated, that still kind of hold a special place in my heart because they were good experiences. Uh,
0: and and the the complexity of that is something I think is really important for people to hear. You know, it's really important. And I know um, I've sometimes received advice from friends saying, oh, you know, you're a uh, even in a friendship, if you're not being treated that well, you just go, just walk. You know, why would you put up with that? But it's so much more complex than that. There's Absolutely. so much you're walking away from. So, when I don't know how often you've you've talked about this before, but is there a moment that now that you've got the the clarity of hindsight and you can look back and see, uh, wow, here's here's where this relationship Went here's here's the winding of the river as I sit in the rowboat and I row into an unknown future. But I look back over the ground I've covered. When did you first now recognize that there was a uh, a way of of connecting with you, a way of treating you, a way of regarding you that was not worthy of you?
1: Okay, <laughs> I can answer that actually because mm. I know exactly when all that happened. Well, so we started having problems um because I felt like he had an expectation a lot of the time that I would pay for him for things so that was like one of the first things there was kind of a money issue Ah. um because I was willing to be giving sometimes financially but he really wasn't willing to be that way for me Mm. and I remember one instance where he came to visit me and he expected you know my family to pay for all this stuff and I Said to him, I said, You know, that's not really, you shouldn't really have this expectation. Why are you acting like that? And he said to me, Well, your mom's a doctor, she can afford it. Ooh. I was like, Wow, okay, wow. <laughs> um, so I think that the relationship, so you want to, so here's like the, the closure thing there's a lot of weirdness in this, but we had this really close relationship, and then the school year ended, and we both went home. the summer and we didn't live in the same state so we really didn't see each other very much over the summer Mm. but here's here's this person that aggressively pursued a relationship with me and then was very like verbal about loving me and wanting to be with me and everything about that right and then summer comes and slowly like the communication kind of dwindles right so he calls me every day but he's not really, it doesn't seem like he's really listening or interested in anything that I'm saying, and I'm starting to feel like what's happening, it seems mm. like he's just completely lost interest in me. Mm. So our birthdays were both over the summer, and I was trying to plan something where I was going to come visit him for his birthday, and I had reached out to some of the people that he lived, that I knew were his friends, and I said, hey, let's like put something together and surprise him, because I'm really into stuff like that. Aww. And, um... I told him that I was going to come visit, and um, I said, okay, well, you know, I'm going to take a a four-and-a-half or five-hour bus. Can you pick me up here? And initially, he said yes, and I said, okay, so I bought the bus tickets, and then he told me after, I'm not going to be able to pick you up, and I said, well, that's a problem. (laughs) And he said, well, either deal with it or, like, don't come, you know, and I was like, okay. And so I was trying to figure out what to do, but I didn't feel comfortable trying to navigate a, a place that I wasn't familiar with. Um, and then he was sort of like, you know what, I think it's best if you don't come, and I think it's best if we're not together anymore. Wow. And, you know, stuff like that. So, it, you know, we kind of, that was kind of the end of the relationship, and then he really just stopped speaking to me. And so I was confused, because I'm like, this is someone who tried so hard he was so adamant about pursuing this relationship and we had this love together. So why all of a sudden it's just dwindled and disappeared. Oh. Um, and then when I saw him again, the following September, when we all got back to campus, like he was, I will say that for the remainder of the time that I knew him, he was never the person that I knew freshman year ever again.
0: Oh. That that sweetness of the beginning of things and the the things that made you enjoy him as a friend they weren't right. they weren't there.
1: Right. So each year was kind of different. Our dynamic was kind of different. Do you? So sophomore year, I got back. So I came back to school, and I was very confused and very upset. And I thought, you know, we were going to figure things out together now that we're in the same place. And so I was really shocked when immediately when I got back to school, he was pursuing somebody else. Oh, um, and I was just devastated because I didn't feel like there was any closure about our relationship ending. I was like, "Well, what, what happened?" <laughs> you know. Um, but he was really like clearly very interested in this other um, other woman. And they were together, hanging out together. I don't think they weren't in a relationship, but they were spending time together all the time. And like at like, crazy hours of the night, because she lived in my dorm building. So like I would come out to get water in the middle of the night, and it would be like 3 in the morning. And she and him would be laughing together, having a great time in the lounge or something. So oh, was that's so tortured.
0: painful. So painful.
1: Yeah. That was a really, really hard time. Um, and it's funny because as I'm saying this to you, I'm looking at my mug that I have my tea in and it's all pictures of me and this girl because she's actually not my closest friend. Wow,
0: wow, wow, wow.
1: Right. So
0: And she's not currently with him.
1: No. She so she she spent time with him, but she never had a um romantic, real romantic relationship with him, no. I see. Actually, so I so I had to go start going to counseling at school my academic advisor made me go because I was just so depressed. Mm. And the counselor gave me this piece of really horrible advice. The counselor said well, you should go confront this girl and find out what she wants from him and tell her how you feel, which I do, I thought at the time was terrible
0: advice. Oh, we're cringing. Is everybody out there cringing right now? That is such hard. Right, go right into the matter of this so that everyone right. will be able to say, this is none of your business.
1: Well, oh. she, she doesn't
0: owe me anything. Right.
1: Why, why would she have to answer any of that? But I was so depressed that I was like, you know what? I'll do it.
0: If it'll help.
1: Right. Oh. So I did. So that is what I did. So I went to talk to her and she and I talk a lot about this moment because it was a big thing for both of us, this conversation we had. Mm. But she had told me that, you know, like I didn't realize there was all this stuff going on with you and him and like, why don't the three of us hang out? Mm. And so we started doing that. And he was very resentful of that initially. He was really angry at me. Um. And he started lashing out at me around that time. Um, And then, you know, she and I became pretty close friends. But she also, I think he quickly realized that he wasn't going to end up getting the relationship he wanted with her. And I think at that point he decided that to like explore things with me again after that.
0: How did, how did his coming back around work out? What was, what was that like?
1: Well, I wanted to get back together with him because I was still confused and heartbroken. Mm-hmm. So I was really pushing for that. And I think at a certain point he kind of gave in and then we had to try to redefine what we were because he didn't want to be in a committed relationship. He didn't want to call it a relationship.
0: Can you put, but, can you put words to the self-talk that, that you were experiencing? Because I think a lot of us recognize that sometimes we, if we look back at the past, we have felt wrongly that we couldn't survive without another person and that we, we really, we really believed that we needed them for our well being. Can you, can you go back to what that Claudia was saying to herself about why it was worth, um, humbling oneself to say, I know, I know you're not sure if you want to be with me, but I really want to be with you. So let's see if we can make this work.
1: Yeah. Um, so I think that there was a part of me that was really clinging to the friendship that I'd had with him Mm. and the person that I had gotten to know. And I felt like, I thought that I was like, well, maybe he's going through something or something happened over the summer that I'm not aware of that caused this change. and, And he, if I'm just stay by him and
0: support him, then we'll find that relationship with each other again. Yes. Yes. So I
1: think that that was a big part of it. I wasn't willing to accept that, like, no, he's not that person anymore. You just need to move on. The other thing is, as you know, Hartwick is an incredibly small school. Sure. So I saw him everywhere, whether I wanted to or not.
0: Oh, so and hard. to
1: leave a relationship where you see that person multiple times throughout each day, it felt to me like that was impossible.
0: Small schools have lots of pros and cons, but that is a con. Ooh. Absolutely. Ooh, Wow. So interesting for all of us to hear though. It sounds like the, it's almost everything's much more complicated than just a simple either or, but it, it's almost true that the, uh, the friendship was the biggest loss for you. It was the friendship, yeah. the thing that made you reluctant to get into the romance in the first place. Uh, it's almost like your, your, uh, your fear felt like it had been realized.
1: I also felt like he had demonstrated that he was able to be a very loving and supportive person, right? And I felt like I needed that.
0: So, so
1: I was looking for that to come back.
0: What about a lot of us can picture how the uh, the ebb and flow. If you go back to college in August and you and you leave campus in May, what around what time of year did you get back together that year? Um.
1: October, November,
0: October, November, and the
1: very end of October.
0: So you but had again,
1: like for him, he didn't want to define it as like being exclusively in a relationship together. Yeah. I think for him, he was looking at it from the standpoint of like a friends with benefits thing. I see. Um, which I, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen or what, you know, I just wanted to be close to him and to spend time with him.
0: Yes. 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 What in this phase, you said every year had a different quality, kind of a different character. What was, what was his poor treatment of you like this year?
1: Uh, It was kind of crazy. I mean, I just remember that he had these um, like kind of outbursts occasionally, but he had some like health stuff going on too, that I think contributed to, that stuff happening Mm. but he would like all of a sudden sometimes just yell at me and say some like really awful things Mm. conveniently there was nobody around when that was happening so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but yeah but then you know he would he would have these like outbursts at me and say all these awful things and yell at me and then show up later at my door apologetic Mm. and feeling really bad mm-hmm so yeah I mean sophomore year was a lot of that um but I felt like by the end of sophomore year he and I had kind of a good thing together because we it felt like more solidified and I was friends with this other girl so I wasn't feeling insecure about that and I had a friend group because I'd met a lot of people through her so there was like this bigger friend group and um I decided to apply for a study abroad program for the fall of my junior year, so I wasn't going to be on campus. And I was really excited about it, but also, you know, had mixed feelings about leaving. Oh, sure. And he was really supportive of me going, and he, you know, I was saying, like, I'm worried about how this is going to affect things between us, and he was like, don't worry about it. I wouldn't need anyone else. Like, I'll be here, you know, all that stuff. Hmm. So then junior year, I went. I spent my fall semester in California. And he kind of cut me off mid-summer, because that's sort of what he did sometimes during the summer. He would just disappear mm. and not, not be communicative for months at a time. So he kind of disappeared, and I was like, okay. And then we reestablished communication at a certain point in that fall. And he had said... You know, I had said, you know, like, well, I miss you a lot, and should I come back to see you for some weekend? And he said that he would like that, and I said, okay, well, let me tell you what I'm thinking because I want to make sure that you have a free schedule we can spend time together. Mm. So he said, okay. So we figured out a weekend. I bought plane tickets, which at the time was like three hundred and fifty dollars for the plane tickets.
0: Mm. Um,
1: I flew back to Boston. Because there was no direct flight to Oneonta. Sure. Um, I had both my parents leave work early on a Friday. I was supposed to go up and see him on a Saturday. But I went up Friday. I had both my parents get out of work early and drive me the four and a half hour drives. So they had both had to like get hotel rooms and stuff.
0: Mm. Um,
1: there was a lot involved in making this happen. Yes. Um, I show up on Friday night. And he was shocked to see me because he wasn't expecting me until Saturday. Uh And he was kind of awkward and whatever. And so we had this like reunion where, but I realized not that far into my getting there that he was in a romantic relationship with someone I had been friends with and no one had told me. So I realized that when I got there. And then I found out also that he had made plans to be away Saturday, like all day Saturday and then some Sunday with this girl.
0: Knowing you were coming.
1: Knowing that I was going to be there. So his plan was, I think, that I was going to get there and then he wasn't going to actually be there. What? I don't think I would have seen him unless I had gotten, I think the only reason I did see him was that I got there. Friday night instead of Saturday.
0: What was going on inside of you? I mean, I was
1: devastated. Oh yeah. It was one of the worst like weekends of my life.
0: I cannot imagine. How much did you share with your parents or cover up from your parents about this?
1: Oh, I told them everything and they were disgusted by it. And the other thing that was horrible too was this woman that he was in the relationship with. I'd been writing her letters while I was in California, because she was my friend. And oh. so I, she never, I'm like, all of that was hidden from me.
0: Oh, my God. So it was
1: a huge betrayal. I didn't know how to process that or anything. And so I went back to California. I mean, I drove back home and went back to California, and it was just having to deal with the heartbreak of knowing that he was with somebody else and everything it was horrible.
0: Absolute heartbreak. Absolutely. Right. What? Hmm. I mean, there's more. That should have been
1: the end of everything, but it wasn't.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hear you. I hear you. And I guess this is where I think a lot of our listeners feel are thinking of their own stories right now, and they are wincing because I think one of the bits of healing that is so important and so difficult is to forgive our earlier selves, to forgive that young woman for not. Letting that be the end. What is that? What is that like in your case? I, I, I talk to a lot of folks who have this, where we're, we're all trying to forgive ourselves for our earlier choices that didn't didn't that dishonored us, that did not bring honor to us. You deserved better than that. How do you process Wait. that? What has processing that been like?
1: Um, I think for a time I was really angry at myself that I stayed in such an unhealthy and not okay relationship for such a long time. Mm. But I think that I have grown to have more forgiveness of myself. And I recognize there were other things that were positive mm. that I was able to do because of the being in the relationship. Yes. Um, and so in that way, I don't, it's like I regret it and I don't Right, because I don't regret it because I was able to have these other experiences and it was a learning experience for me. Um, and I think I needed a lot of the really positive things that I got from the relationship at the time. That being said, I also, part of me wishes that I had used the time that I was there to explore other things that college had to offer for me and other Mm. friendships instead of investing all of my time into the relationship. I,
0: I, I applaud you for, for having that frame. I mean, I just think it's a, it's a, what you just said is so powerful that it's both you, uh, if you could do it over again, you would allocate your time and your energy differently, but you, can, you could never have learned this lesson. You couldn't learn this lesson this deeply if it had been a different or easier way.
1: Well, I don't, you know, I, I'll be honest though, sometimes I'm like, why couldn't I have learned this lesson in two years rather than like four and a half?
0: Sure. <laughs> sure. So,
1: I'm like, you know, when I think about that and I think about it through the lens of like faith, right? Um, you know, why. I understand. So I sometimes I'm like, okay, well, this happened to me cuz for the most part I like to think that things happen for a reason. So if this happened to me, you know, it was important for my growth, right? But then mm. I'm like, you know, but why did this have to happen to me for such a long period of time?
0: Mhm. I hear-
1: That's where like I question it.
0: Were you now you were raised with tastes of your mom's Jewish faith, tastes of your dad's Catholic faith. You, you had told me though that you were never baptized in in a religion.
1: I wasn't. No, so, I was never. I mean, in, so in Judaism, right? They don't do baptism, so it wasn't right. anything like that. I never was mitzvah uh, or anything like that. And then, no, I wasn't baptized either. I think my parents kind of didn't want to to have that um, as part of my childhood because they wanted me to sort of grow up and make my own choices
0: was talking to God part of this time in your life going through this relationship?
1: It wasn't anything that anyone taught me to do, but Mm. it's something that I started doing by myself anyway. Mm. And I think that I realized that I wasn't, I didn't really identify with the Jewish religion. I I keep it in my life because it's something that's very traditional and Mm. has other meanings to my family. Um, my family members like my grandfather and my family members um, escaped Germany during the Holocaust because they were Jews living in Germany. So I think that there's a lot of emphasis on keeping the tradition alive in my family. Yes but personally I feel a lot more that I identify a lot more with my Catholic
0: faith Yeah which which is fascinating and I think a lot of our I think a lot of our listeners know what it is like to have been raised with two different, traditions pulling on them maybe maybe not quite as different as as uh, as Jewish and Catholic although the overlaps there are many a lot of us talk about the cultural overlaps between Judaism and Catholicism but but from religious structure standpoint they are different religions you know they're not just different denominations they're related religions very closely related they uh, Christianity can't live without Judaism but uh, but they are different so that's it's a fascinating fascinating thing. So now you, you brought us to a point where you could have gotten off of the ride, so to speak, but you were not, you didn't, you weren't, you weren't ready yet. You didn't at that time know that you had no crystal ball. So you, uh, you went back to California, brokenhearted, help us understand where, where the relationship went from there. You were you were midway through your time in California and then had to return to campus.
1: Right. So for the remainder of my time in California, he and I didn't have any communication with each other.
0: There was no apology. Um, There was no apology. No, uh, no scene where he was like, Claudia, please. I'm sorry. I can explain everything. No. Right.
1: No, I don't think, no, that didn't happen for any of it. Yeah. Any of the things that really, I mean, no. So I, uh, I got back to campus, and then he wasn't, he wasn't there um, for the January semester. Mm. Um, so I really didn't see him, and I was trying to move forward. And then when he came back and we saw each other again, I think that things kind of fell back into where they were. But, like, I, I mean, I was genuinely really in love with him, and as much as I didn't want to be with him anymore on a lot of respects, Even, like, seeing him, there was just this really powerful emotional response in seeing his face. There was this magnetism there.
0: Yes. I think a lot of people listening can relate to that. That's exactly right. That's exactly right.
1: My brain knew that it wasn't the right thing. But, like, my heart was, like, overpowering that. And, like, no, this is what I want. And I was totally, um, I'm just trying to think of the word that I'm looking for. I totally surrendered myself to this emotional need because it just felt so overwhelming.
0: Yes. Yes. Well, and you know what, what that makes me think of is that I've heard some relationship experts. I heard a a Ted talk where Guy Winch, a psychologist who, uh, who's written a book on, on breakups actually called how to fix a broken heart. He said that there is a big, uh, movement in, in the field of psychology, to describe what you're describing as as addiction you know i wonder did can you relate to that do you feel like you know how when someone says i really an alcoholic says i i can't drink this is ruining my life i've got two duis or i've got this but there's a compulsion um the food addict who who goes to eat even though they're full and 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 knows that it's harmful did it feel like there was are you describing what feels a bit like an addictive pull to him? Does that resonate? I absolutely
1: you? think that. I have never, thankfully, had any sort of substance um, abuse problems in my life, but this is what I imagine that feels like.
0: Oh. Because if that
1: is that's how I would have described it. it. I felt like I even felt like withdrawal from if there were when there was a day where I didn't see him. I felt physical, emotional withdrawal from that. There it yeah, is. absolutely. I do. I 100% think it's like the same kind of brain wiring. I think you can get addicted to people. Uh,
0: that's been my experience too. And I would say as a priest, I've heard so many people share this. They might not have the words for it, but yeah, it's, it's nice to hear that. And for anybody who's interested in following up on this, the name of the author is Guy Winch, and his book is called How to Fix a Broken Heart, and his TED Talks, are are really helpful to just understand this dynamic. I think I think uh, it won't be too long in the future where we'll be talking about um, unhealthy love much more this way as an addiction. Um, yeah. So I. I well, st- there's
1: adrenaline. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, no. There's like an adrenaline rush too.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Like it's like there's a very um, physiological response to, to things like that when you see that person's face or when you're with them there is like an adrenaline that comes through you that's like can be like ecstasy
0: absolutely absolutely I apps and I'm I don't pretend to be a scientist but I uh, I think adrenaline is the exact uh, description it, it those of us who know what it feels like to have an adrenaline rush but I'm also tempted to say now that we're becoming a little more adept in in the language of psychology and Um, Neuroscience uh, that there's like a dopamine hit, you know, we Mm -hmm. we get that that pleasure center of the brain gets touched by to see that face And you know what I think is interesting Don't you think so many of the cheesy love songs make sense to you in those moments too? You know the first time ever I saw your face, you know, it's true (laughs) It's so true a person one look can uh can can initiate a chemical response that, that makes you feel unfree. Makes you feel unfree.
1: Absolutely. And you get you get addicted to the highs and the lows of toxic relationships.
0: Oh when you think of when you think of some of the moments where he was the least respectful, what are some okay. of the things that come to mind that you haven't shared yet? You've shared a lot, but but there I'm sure there's other things that uh, maybe our listeners could relate to uh, that he did that feel like you look back and you say, what disrespect, what toxicity?
1: Well, I knew it at the time. I mean, I, there were times I vividly remember feeling horrible um, and crying and looking at myself in the mirror with like just my eyes so red from just my face swollen from all of the crying. And I remember looking at myself and being like, Claudia, what are you doing? You deserve so much better than this.
0: Mm-hmm. Why are you
1: allowing yourself to be in this situation? Mm. So I had a lot of that at the time. But I really genuinely felt like I couldn't leave.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that like a lot of people don't under you, Nobody understands that when you're in those situations unless you've been in them. Because I had so many friends and family members begging me to like not be with this person anymore. But I didn't feel like I it didn't feel like I really had a choice. Yes. I felt like I was very trapped and very stuck. And I didn't know how to get out of it. Um, and so that's, that. yeah, there was just a lot there that I, as much as I want, I knew it was a problem. I wasn't operating under the assumption that it was okay. I knew that a lot of it was not okay and it was a problem. I just didn't know how I was
0: going to get myself out of it. Uh, I think we feel it. We feel it. And, and, you know, there are a number of you listening, I'm sure, who are in there right now and you are uh, feeling a little bit um, indicted, a little bit caught, that uh, the things being said are just hitting a little too close to home. And maybe the best thing for you to know right now is just that you're not alone. Just that you're not alone. That um, there are others who have been exactly where you are and they have found their way out of it. And they have found their way to a life worth living beyond it. And it's important to just know that wherever you are, it, it, it's, it is temporary. It is temporary. It might be a long journey. It might be four years, but, um, but it will pass. All things pass and it will.
1: There was a lot of negativity. Um, I think that he really at a lot of times brought out the worst parts of me. I think that came from a lot of the hurt and the insecurity that, was associated with the mistreatment but I genuinely believed a lot of things about myself from that relationship that I was a certain way that I was overbearing that I was distrusting that I was too I snooped too much or I, I you know things like that but I was too curious mm-hmm. or um, and I walked out of that thinking that I had a lot of work to do on myself that I was a toxic partner and I just want to say that after having a relationship after that, it was really eye-opening to me that I actually wasn't any of those things
0: mm. it was
1: it was really shocking to be in another relationship and say wait well if I'm in an environment where I trust the person that I'm with and I don't feel like I have these things to worry about or to be afraid of that I'm not like that at all
0: amazing Amazing. And so I think
1: that that's an important thing to say, because I think that a lot of people who are in toxic relationships are going to internalize a lot of things or believe things about themselves that really, when you're extricated from that situation, you might find that you're not like that at all.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. That is that is so important, I think, in, in all of our relationships, especially the toxic ones, but to recognize... Um, especially for those of us, since we, since we all have flaws and defects that we need to be able to say, even if some of the things that you say about me are true, I am more than what, than those things. I am more than that. I am more than the worst thing I've ever done, or I'm more than the parts of myself that aren't, you know, yet fully mature. But on top of it, there are people that will, as you're saying, will lie to us about ourselves to destabilize us, to to make us feel uh, off our game, to uh, to make maybe to make themselves feel better, um, and not everything people tell us is true.
1: But I think you fall into certain behaviors in environments, right? In extreme environments. So some of those things at the time, I think probably were true. I think that I I, there were times when I was a toxic partner in that relationship as well, and I take full responsibility for that. But I, I, I think that being in a in a different environment, in a more loving and trusting environment, I found that I was not my inclination to behave in those ways, and I think that that's an important thing to recognize.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. You said it. You said it so clearly and so beautifully. I. I, I feel it in my own looking back at my own life as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It reminds me of a poster I saw when I was teaching high school that said, uh, it was in the nurse's office and it said, no one can expect healthy fish who've been swimming in a polluted stream. You know, that the, when we're I in, like a, we, yeah, doesn't it feel fair if, if we yeah. are, if we're swimming in a, in toxicity, some of it is, we're going to imbibe it and it is going to affect us. But when we, when we get rescued from that toxicity and placed in a healthier environment, we realize that's not who I am. But I imbibed the toxicity in the stream that I was swimming in. Given where you are right now, if there was a college student who was telling you this story knowing that we're powerless to change other people's behavior or make their decisions for them, what kind of advice would you give to to the college student listening to this right now who's right where you're talking about?
1: I think the thing that I tell people when I speak to people who are in these relationships that are toxic and they know that it's not right, um, whatever, whenever I speak to someone like that, the, the first thing that I say is that you're the only person who can decide When to leave and and how to do that, because I think it's very common to have all of your loved ones in those situations being like, you have to get out of this. And it makes you feel bad because you know that that's true and you know that they care about you and you know you should leave and you just feel like you can't. But you're the person who has to decide when that time is and nobody can choose that for you. Right. Because if people tell you, hey, like, it's time for you to, you need to leave the relationship and you try to leave that relationship, but you're not ready or you're not in that place, like, it's, it doesn't work. Yeah. And so I struggled so much with that. And it became so much about like, okay, I'm going to move on from this when I'm ready to. Yes. And I think that that's, that was true of my previous partnership as well. It wasn't toxic in any way, in the the same way, by any means. Um, But it was still a sort of thing where it became clear at a certain point that like this isn't the right relationship for me. And people would say that to me, but I'd say, you know what, I'm not ready to leave it yet. I need to leave it when it feels right for me.
0: You know, that is so, self-compassion is so important, and I feel like that is exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, when, when it's time for me, I will go. Maybe that's, maybe that's the best promise we can make for ourselves. I can't do it today or I'm not ready today, but when I am ready, I will go. That, that feels like a, like a promise that, that we can make to ourselves and keep, keep working toward. Um, that feels really, really helpful. And I'm sure there's people that are feeling really blessed by hearing you say that. Um,
1: well, the shame too, that you get from people around you which by the way nobody is trying to make you feel worse it's coming from people who are devastated seeing you in a in a relationship where you're being mistreated and the frustration of that yes but being hard on yourself about it isn't going to make any of it any easier because the thing that's going to get you out of that relationship at a certain point is like that wanting better for yourself um and having a little bit more confidence and love for yourself. Mm. And so if you take, if you spend a lot of time thinking like I shouldn't be doing this, what's wrong with me, all of that stuff, right? That, that doesn't help you get out of the relationship.
0: Fair, fair. That's beautiful. So not only is it unkind to yourself, it's not going to work. It's ineffective.
1: You need to have kindness for yourself.
0: Oh, I hope everyone can hear that. You need to have kindness for yourself. It, it won't work not to. Oh, uh, that's so important. I feel like that's a really important insight. Thank you for sharing it. Yeah. Tell me, how did, how did, you, you said you, you weren't ready. You could only leave when you were ready. Talk to us right. about what readiness was. When were you ready and how did that play
1: out? Um, I mean, in some ways, I feel a little hypoc- hypocritical. And, um, saying that, because I never really was, I mean, I think that he abruptly disappeared and never, never resurfaced. So, in that way, I guess, I mean, I didn't make the decision to end things when they ended, um, Mm. he did, but, I mean, I've made, I guess the decision that I'm making is now I don't, I haven't, like, tried to reconnect Um, so I guess that's the sense, but I, I think like I didn't, I didn't make the choice to cut things off when they, when they did it, he disappeared on me and then I had to come to terms with it and then get to a place where I was trying to move forward.
0: You know, you know, there's a, there's a great, there's a great wisdom to this though, that circles back to unhealthy love as addiction, being addicted to a person because Abstinence. The the addiction counselors tell us abstinence from most substances is the only uh, the only way to freedom. There's no safe amount of heroin for a heroin addict to take. There's right. no good number of cigarettes for a nicotine addict. There's no you know one. The saying in the twelve steps is um, one drink is too many and a thousand isn't enough. So in a way, what you're saying is while while you don't get to feel like the uh, heroic woman who told him where to go and in front of a group of people and they all applauded and the studio audience, you know, cheered and, <laughs> you know, it's not that type of ending, but uh, it's an ending of someone who was ready to get off the ride and not try. I mean, it's it says a lot how far you came that uh, at an earlier time, um, your parents were involved in taking time off work to help you see him. There were expensive plane tickets purchased. There were, you know, and uh, now you were ready to say, I know exactly how to get in touch with him, and I'm not. Right. That's huge. I feel like that is huge. Wow. When
1: I was, um, when, when he stopped speaking to me, I wrote his... Um, phone number that I had on a piece of paper, a small piece of paper, and I rolled it up and I put it in a box and I deleted his contact information from my phone. And I with the knowledge that like if I need to, I still have it and I've never gone into the box or anything. But I've yeah, it's like something that I think about.
0: That's powerful. That's powerful. You knew you could turn to it if the if it if it made you too anxious to have nothing, but you you are not turning to it. Yeah. Wow. And for how long have you been out of contact with him?
1: Uh, so the last time I saw him in person was almost exactly four years ago. Wow. Uh, the last time I spoke with him was March of
0: 2017.
1: Wow. So it's been a while.
0: You know, it might be helpful for you, to, for our listeners to hear though, you you have shared with me what his last words to you were. In March of 2017, you were talking and he said yeah. he, he had to go briefly, right? Yeah,
1: so- yeah, yeah. We were having a actually like a really delightful conversation. It was one of the good moments in my memory. Um, we were having a really good conversation and he said, hey, like, I actually have to go right now. Can I call you back in like an hour? I said, yeah, of course, you know, that's fine. Um, And not only did he never call me back, but yeah, so he didn't call me back. So I tried calling him, no answer. I tried texting him. Um, You know, at that time we were, used Snapchat a lot to communicate. So I sent him like Snapchats and he never responded. And so like a month went by and he just didn't respond to anything. And it was like, okay, I guess that's it.
0: I will say this though I, I that is that is so dishonorable of him. It is so cowardly. However, it is exactly what uh, we hear is is common in in the age of uh, social media and digital communication that's called ghosting. Yeah, he ghosted. He ghosted. <laughs> you know, for those who don't know that term, you disappear like a ghost and there's no excuse for it. there's no it doesn't make sense. It's not. You would never just, you know, if you were physically in proximity to somebody, you could never get away with it. They'd be like, are you, igno- right. are you giving me the silent treatment? Um, right. It would look childish. But in, in, in the digital world, it leaves the person with just absolutely nothing to go on. Wild. Yeah. so I didn't know. I was, I just
1: was very confused. Um, I suspect that he was with
0: someone else.
1: Mm. Um, I think for the last for the final years that we were involved with each other, I think he was with somebody else at the same time. Even when we were like intimately together and physically together, I think he was seeing somebody else at the same time.
0: How? So how do you forgive? I was just going to ask how How do you feel about him now? Is forgiveness a word that that applies here?
1: No. <laughs> i wish it was um i would like to be one of those people that can do that i no i can't i mean i have it depends on the day i have different feelings there's sometimes and i i hate to admit this because i don't want to but there are times that i miss him because there were really special things that we had together that i miss. yes and those things are still present in my mind So I miss those things. There are times when I want to send him a message and find out how he's doing. I have no idea what happened to him. Right. I have no connection to him anymore because he doesn't talk to any anybody from school anymore at all. So no one knows what happened to him, and I'm very curious about those things. And there, yeah, absolutely, there are times I still want to talk to him. There are other times where I think about it, and I'm just so filled with rage that I'm just like furiously angry. Oh. So, uh, when I think about all of the things that I would like to say to him, because there's so much that I want to say, yeah. um, it would be like a 50-page letter, you know, <laughs> like all different kinds of emotions in there, but I think it's best for my health to not do that
0: Amen. as much as
1: I want to. But I think part of the having to create my own closure, because I had to, because he didn't give me any... Um, I mean, what I did for a while is I wrote him a lot of letters. I never sent them. But I wrote them whenever I was feeling upset about it. And so I wrote all of these letters. And I think that that was part of the closure. And then, you know, I just, like, moved on.
0: Does getting in a new relationship help with that? Yes and no. Ah.
1: I got into a new relationship, um not that long after i stopped speaking to him so there were a lot of challenges in that and this is something that i think is really important to talk about because in all of my reading about toxic relationships i feel like the emphasis on the articles is about recognizing the signs of abuse and how to extricate yourself but none of the stuff that i looked at touched on the aftermath of like what happens once you've left Mm. and there is an adjustment it's a huge
0: adjustment Mm -hmm.
1: and thankfully the partner that I had after was extremely patient and loving because it was a huge thing for me to to be with someone else after that
0: understandably understandably how how did the way you were treated in the in the next relationship shed light on the on that one, the previous one that we're speaking about?
1: Um, so my the partner that I had after him, um, he was treated me with a lot more kindness and compassion. But I it was scary, and mm. I know that's going to sound confusing. But I was so um, I had expectations of a certain kind of behavior. So when he didn't display those types of behavior, and was the opposite. I was distressing and I, I was anxious about it.
0: Is, yes. It, it's so interesting, but I think it's relatable. You actually um, got to a place where decent, loving, m- healthy, relational uh, dynamics felt strange. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Do
1: you want me to give the example Of where I, yeah, where I really struggled with that. You do okay.
0: I would love. Um, I would love it. I think our (laughs) listeners would love it too. It's generous of you to offer.
1: Sure. I just, you know, I didn't know if you wanted that included, but um, so in my the second half of my junior year, particularly, that's when that happened the most. um, I was with the guy in college, and um, we had had um, intimate times together
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and I would fall asleep and he would wake me up at like two or three in the morning and tell me to get out Mm. so it was like he's like I don't want you sleeping in the bed you have to and so my dorm at the time was pretty far it was a far walk. It was going to have to walk through multiple empty parking lots in the dark alone in the middle of the night. I was very scared to do that. Mm. Um, so I would sort of say to him, like, I'm scared. And um, so some of the time he would say, well, you can sleep here, but you have to sleep like at the foot of the bed or like on the floor because he didn't want me in the bed with him. Oh. So that was something that I struggled with a lot. Um, so when I got into a new relationship and I had time, that intimate time with my next partner and he said to me, like, I was expecting him to throw me out of the bed,
0: I guess, but he
1: didn't and he wanted me to be there. And that was a really hard thing for me to wrap my head around. Mm. It was really hard for me to like accept that, like you want me here. You don't want me to leave. And he's like, Of course I want you here. And I but I was I was distrusting of it. It felt scary to me.
0: Yes. Yes. You know, it feels to me when you say that, when you tell us that story, which is so generous of you to tell, and we we hear that. I think going back to the forgiveness conversation, it feels like it, it's important to recognize that whatever forgiveness would look like it would never be you saying that that was okay or that you've come to terms with it or he was just doing what was right for him it, none of that none of that rings true it's what happened was absolutely unacceptable it sounds like in this case forgiveness means refusing to be bitter about it you know it's almost like recognizing that you have no way to punish him. So any kind of, um, punishment that you would offer is going to, you're going to have to, to feel it. I remember hearing one time, somebody say unforgiveness is like giving someone a life sentence, but you're the jailer. You have to sit in the jail with them to guard them or else they might walk out. And it feels to me like what forgiveness looks like here is never endorsing or saying, "Oh, poor guy, we'll give him a pass." It is saying, "I cannot sit in the dungeon with him that he's created out of this relationship. He created a dungeon out of our relationship, but I won't sit there with him in it. I will leave because and and you know the classic thing in the 12 steps they say is um, not forgiving someone who's wronged us is like drinking poison and hoping they'll die, but yeah. we're the ones. In, and since you don't have an IV drip, you don't have a, pl- you don't have an arm to stick it in other than your own. <laughs> right. I would love, I think there's not a listener here who wouldn't love to go hunt, hunt him down and grab his arm, p- roll his sleeve up and, sl- <laughs> but, uh, but
1: I fa- I'll i be honest. I fantasize about it. I
0: yeah. Can- Yes.
1: I wish that I had no, I wish that I didn't hold on to a lot of anger, but I think that that's part of the process of like healing. I don't think that it happens. Um, I mean, like I said, it's been four years since I've seen him and I don't feel entirely healed from the experience. I think it's going to take me a very long time to fully recover from everything. But I think that I've come a long way in the last four years.
0: I think anyone who's been anywhere near, your situation, anyone who knows, maybe hasn't worn your shoes for as long, but at least tried them on. But we get it. We get it. And and it sounds like that's the kind of kindness that's needed. This is a great time to apply kindness to ourselves when we're looking at how far we have still to go, because it makes sense. It was a long relationship and it was at a tender time. And uh, so the healing will be long. But you know, the other thing I've heard wise people say that I love is just because we're not fully healed doesn't mean we're not healing. You know it, it's I think anyone listening to you right now knows that we don't pretend that we know you well or your, all your struggles, and we've even we've discussed having another podcast about another life experience you've had that I think could could bring a lot of hope to our listeners and we'll we'll entertain uh, that next podcast um, down the road. but i but i I'm tempted to just pause. With recognizing that we, each of us, has to recognize that we're more, we're more for us to have survived this far, we're more healed than we are broken. You know, I don't the fact that you're you're doing as well, that you are creating, you're an artist and a and a creative, and that you create things and that you have empathy for others, and that you're relational and that you have friends and 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 romantic relationships, you've you've not been crippled by this. You're more whole than you are broken.
1: Well, thank you. That's really nice to hear. I appreciate that a lot.
0: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad that I could say it and I'm glad that you could hear it. And I know that our listeners hear the same. They hear the same. And And I think that's part of our healing for all of us is though we may not be fully healed, it doesn't mean that we're not healing. And it doesn't mean that the fact that we're partially broken doesn't take away our wholeness. Um, there's, we're, we're on the continuum of totally shattered to totally whole, um, for you to be able to talk about it is a sign in itself that you're closer to the wholeness than the shattered, though, though we experience things that are shattering and and you indeed have, wow, there is so much here. There is so much here. You know, I think maybe another, another image that I heard recently that I love about forgiveness is. It doesn't make any comment about what the other person did, right or wrong. It's simply like a pair of scissors that snips the experience away from us. You know, it is it is a uh, super sharp scissors that can cut through uh, iron chains that are keeping us connected to a heavy weight. Um, and and I think you know, like you said about healing, I think we move toward forgiveness. I think it's a process. I don't think it's always. Something that happens on a day, which is also interesting because you also did not, you did not point to a single day that you fell in love. That was something that was hard to discern so that maybe there won't be a single day that you'll be able to point to forgiving, but it'll be in time.
1: I'll probably come to a realization.
0: Ah. Like someday that
1: I'll be like, wow, okay, I guess I'm not, <laughs> I'm really not bothered by that as much as I used to be. It'll probably be something like
0: that. Oh, I love it. I love it. That's a yeah, that's a beautiful form of healing. Cheryl Strayed, uh, the author who did the the book Wild, she she talks about how you 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 make your way through the days, you crawl through the weeks, and you scratch your way through the months. And finally, one day in the distant future, you find yourself sitting on a bench in the sunshine and you throw your head back toward the sun and you realize, you know what? I'm okay. <laughs> and I thought, what a description of healing. You just realize was- one day you're on a bench and you're more okay than you're not. And what a glorious day for us all. Tell me. We, uh, we're coming to an end now and I, uh, I ask every guest on this podcast, a few questions that you've already touched on the first one actually about does everything happen for a reason? You've told us that you, you like to believe that on a good day, you try to see things happening more for a reason than for not. Can you say more about that?
1: I think that there are things that I see that are horrible, that don't appear to have reasons to me in the world. And so I think that that is my hesitance to commit to that. I see. Um, But I like to believe that that's true. I like to believe that there is a reason that things happen. And I've seen that in some areas of my life. I've seen evidence of that for some things.
0: Mm. So I,
1: I mean, I think my faith journey, right? There's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of things that I'm still very confused about and trying to navigate. So that's one of those things. It's I want to believe that that's true, but I'm not always sure.
0: Amen, amen. I I think that is something that is a level of honesty and and uh, authenticity that that rings true for us. So yeah, thank you for being on the journey with me and with those of us that are on it. I think that's beautiful. What do you think about? The the name of this podcast is Profiles of Endurance. You've endured through this this difficult relationship. You you've endured through other hardships too. Some of which we'll talk about in future podcast episodes. What when you think of the things that you've had to endure, what's the mm-hmm. key? What is the key to enduring? What what's the key to practicing the virtue of endurance?
1: Oh geez, that's a big question. Ah. <laughs> mm. uh... You just, um, I don't think there is any one key to it, other than that you just have to keep going.
0: Mm.
1: That's what I would say because I don't think I have an answer as to how to get through everything. I think that I've had to face some extremely upsetting and hard and things that I felt impossible.
0: Mm. Um,
1: and there are plenty of times where I did just want to give up
0: mm-hmm.
1: and not keep keep going, but it's just. My parents were very um, firm in raising me that, like, that's not an option for me, that no no matter what's happening, I have to get up and get out of bed and be functional no matter what, and that's a difficult thing when you're suffering, but I think that having that as the framework of my existence has been really important in my resilience, because I keep that in my mind. It's like, okay, I can't just give in to everything. I have to keep going in whatever that way is. So I think it's about finding a way, taking things one day at a time and finding a way to exist with and sit with the things that are hard.
0: Mm, Wise. You know, I, I don't know where this proverb came from, but while you were speaking, what bubbled up for me is a proverb that says not from the Bible. It's, it's from some cultural tradition. It is, uh, it's not, falling in the water that makes you drown it's staying in the water Mm -hmm. you know when you fall in something don't stay in it you know keep your head above the water even if that's all if you're if only your nostrils are out of the water you're enduring
1: Ooh.
0: how about the reason the reason that we started this podcast was because when when the coronavirus pandemic started back in march so many people were saying, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I just don't know Parents, kids not completing their education and so many important life moments canceled and people dying alone. And, and and folks were saying, I don't know how to get through this. And so we started collecting stories of people who've gotten through stuff in the hopes that uh, that would help all of us to to gather some strength and courage for the road forward. Sure. What are your hopes as we together as a human family make our way through this time of coronavirus? What are your hopes for what what life could happen? What could life be like in your fondest hopes after coronavirus?
1: Um I don't know that it'll be good, but my hope is that people can move through life with love and compassion at the forefront. Um I think that that's always how I've chosen to live my life. Mm. I think that it's important to to do that. And I think, you know, I would like to see that, you know, I think politically, especially in the political climate that we're in, mm. there's a lot of stress on, on partisan things. And I, you know, whether you're this party or this party, and to me, it's just I would like to see everybody looking at things through the lens of love and compassion. So my hope is that we can move through that and people can find tap into that a little bit more. Cause I think that there are a lot of people who live without looking at those intentions.
0: Oh, may it be true. May it be true. What a beautiful vision. <laughs> uh, Thank you. So I'd like to invite our listeners to just take a few moments to savor some of what we've heard just a little bit of, of time to not just rush beyond it but just take a moment to savor it what stood out what stood out for each of you what stood out for, for each of you who are listening with this what did Claudia say about kindness that will stay with you how about self-kindness self-compassion what what is an area in your life where you need to show yourself more kindness more gentleness, more compassion as you deal with something. How about her insight about knowing that a relationship needs to end, but not yet being ready to end it. What in your life are you aware of? You've come to the awareness that there'll need to be a shift, but you're not quite yet ready to make that shift. Is there another shift in your life that you've known about for a while? And after listening to this conversation, you feel more ready. Is there anybody who came to mind while you were listening to this conversation? Is there any way you can show them support, recognizing that they can't make a move or go in a direction until they themselves are ready? Do you share Claudia's vision of a world where we look through the lens of love and compassion together? What are you willing to do to make that vision a reality? Claudia, I I can't thank you enough for for your sharing today and for the ways that you are, are helping each of us to take such an important look at at our relationships and at forgiving ourselves for, for what it took to get to where we are today. I thank you so much for this time with us and, uh, wish you every blessing on the path forward.
1: Thank you so much.
0: And thank you to all of our listeners. God bless you all.